welcome to the Diocesan Digest, a news outlet for the Episcopal Diocese of Oklahoma. I'm your host, Sarah Smith, coordinator of media. In these short episodes, we will share the latest news, ministry stories, clergy, spotlights, and much more about the Diocese of Oklahoma each week. If you or your congregation wants to share a ministry story or other important news item, or even a particular topic you want to see covered on the podcast, please contact me at smith at epiok.org. few announcements this week, y'all. First, congrats to Mother Janie Coach, who is the new vicar at All Saints McAllister. Mother Janie was most recently a curate at St. Matthew's Enid, and she will begin her post on August 12th. Two events coming up. The celebration of new ministry for Father Chris Yoder at All Souls is this Saturday at 11 a.m., and the ordination of the Reverend Michael Matkin to the Sacred Order of Priests will be on August 3rd at Emmanuel Shawnee. Lastly, this is the last week to sign up for the Family Weekend at St. Crispin's. Head over to epiok.org and search for the Family Weekend on the events calendar page. Family Weekend is August 9th through the 11th. Let's get into this week's episode I had the pleasure of sitting down with Kate Houston, the Diocesan Director of Youth and Young Adult Ministries. She spearheaded the recent Racial Reconciliation Pilgrimage Program that took a group of about 30 students to the South to learn about our country's history regarding race issues and slavery. This program is fantastic and it's phenomenal and I'm so proud of our diocese for offering such an impactful experience for our youth. So excited to share this with y'all, so let's get to it. Here is Kate Houston. Okay, Kate, thank you so much for joining the Diocesan Digest today. Are you fired up? I'm fired up. Okay, so I got a couple questions for you. First of all, let's tell the people your role in the the diocese and what you do, and then we'll get into talking about the pilgrimage. So I am the director of Youth and Young Adult Ministries, and that means that I work with all of our youth programming at the diocesan level, Uh, so programming like New Beginnings, Happening, Camp, Um, our young adult programs. And then I also work with our campus ministers um, and people who are transitioning to college and out of college into the workforce um, and uh, in terms of getting them connected with churches. That's great. You have a big job. There's a lot happening. It's awesome. So needed. So you are a part of this reconciliation, racial reconciliation pilgrimage. I want to know, and I'm sure the people want to know, Where did this idea begin, and what is it? So the Racial Reconciliation Pilgrimage started initially um, with Bishop Curry and with his call for racial reconciliation as one of kind of the three major things that he was really pushing for in the first three years of his um, role as our presiding bishop. And so... um, 
I had been looking online um, previously to coming into this role at the diocese. I worked at St. Paul's Cathedral and um, had taken our kids on various mission trips and was kind of looking at doing a racial reconciliation pilgrimage there. Um, uh, Emily Schnabel, um, the rector out in Midwest City, St. Christopher's Midwest City, had been visiting in Montgomery with a friend of hers and had gone to some of these sites. And Sabrina Evans, um, our director of formation here at the diocese, had seen those images as well. And the three of us together kind of cooked up this wild plan that we would um, take our youth on a racial reconciliation pilgrimage. And so um, Sabrina really did a lot of the um, original kind of groundwork for it. Um, And then when I started in January, I picked up the ball um, and ran with it. So how did y'all select which kids were going to go and how many kids, how many adults did you have and how did you kind of decide who's all going to go? So it was a process just this year we, um, cause it was our first time running the program. We weren't really sure what the interest level would be. Um, and we actually overfilled our capacity. Um, but we felt so strongly about the opportunity that we originally had intended to only take, um, 20 kids and we ended up taking 26 and, um, we lost a couple along the way. Um, we lost one unfortunately because she broke her hand the week of the pilgrimage but um that always happens but we um were prepared to take up to 30 and um had 30 at one point and ended up taking 26 but we were the kids were just great um you never kind of know when you have an open process um like who's coming and who why are they coming and what is it that they're interested in and I could really tell from the kids they all were there to learn and to experience and they all walked away with something. And we took kids as young as sixth grade, having completed sixth grade, all the way having completed their senior year of high school. And so there was a lot of differences in their experiences and in their knowledge, but they all had that single desire to learn more. Where were the kids from? Were they from all over the diocese or more from one than the other? They were mostly from all over the diocese. Um, A couple of churches sent a few more. Uh, We had quite a few from St. Paul's Cathedral and St. Christopher's Midwest City. Um, And we also had, um, we had three from Christ Church in Tulsa. Uh, We had one from Muskogee, one from Ada, a couple from Enid, um, one from Grove, um, one from Claremore, um, and then just kind of throughout the Oklahoma City and Tulsa regions. So it really was a pretty well-distributed group of youth from across the diocese, which was very neat to see kids outside of just camp kind of get together and spend time together and learn um, together about things that maybe even in their own contexts in different places, it wasn't just an urban context or a rural context, Um, but they really were able to experience these new things together and then compare them to their own experiences. Okay, let's go through where all y'all went and what you saw and what type of programming did you have ready or like, you know, discussions surrounding them or how did it kind of each day flow? So our chaplains were um, Emily Schnabel from St. Christopher's and Spencer Brown from St. Patrick's um, and Jeff Houston um, kind of was our uh, assistant chaplain. He stepped into that role some too. Um, and so, but Emily Spencer and I really worked on the program as the program aspect of the trip together. Um, we originally were scheduled to go to New Orleans and the last 24 hours I kept looking at the 
uh, weather reports and saw that there was going to be a hurricane and knew we had to kind of reformat that. So the first part of our trip was a little bit um, on the fly, um, unfortunately, because we had to change course because of the hurricane hitting New Orleans. But we ended up um, driving to Memphis and then from Memphis going to the Hermitage, um, which is Andrew Jackson's home. And um, and then from there going to Montgomery a day early. Uh, the, our trip in New Orleans was supposed to be focused on mostly discussing slavery and kind of the unique history of slavery um, to New Orleans as being a city that was controlled by the French and then the Spanish and then the Americans after 1803. And so we really did want to go someplace where the kids could see the juxtaposition of how people lived um, who were more wealthy and who owned slaves and then accommodations where slaves would live. And so the closest we thought we could kind of get was the hermitage. Um, And it was interesting because we showed up and we had an appointment and they came out to greet us and they were talking to us about Andrew Jackson. And then we told them we were on a racial reconciliation pilgrimage. And we think we kind of surprised them a little bit. Um, But they actually did a really great job of showcasing, um, the juxtaposition in the two types of lives there and our kids really, we gave our kids a series of questions that we wanted them to take pictures of. Um, and that would help them kind of process those differences later. And they did a great job from there. We went to Montgomery and, um, we ended up there a day early. Um, and so we stayed at a place called St. John's Montgomery, which, um, was the church that actually the Episcopal church in the South separated from. They actually voted to separate during the Civil War at St. John's. So it has quite a history related to um, slavery, Civil War, and then civil rights. And we stayed there and they were wonderful and hospitable and couldn't be um, more welcoming of us. And we, uh, the next day we went to the Civil War Naval Museum Um, and had a tour related to the role that African-Americans played during the Civil War and in the Navy. And then we went to Tuskegee Airmen, uh, the National Historic Site for the Tuskegee Airmen, and were experienced um, that exhibit. It's a national park site, and the kids really got to see the difference between how African-Americans were treated during the Civil War, and really that there was very little difference in terms of segregation and their experience, um, even in World War II, 80 years later. And so, and the difference then between the World War II to today, which is actually a shorter time frame, and they had, um, they learned about that. The next day in Montgomery, um, we went and did a walk of historic sites um, related to Jonathan Daniels. Um, so our seminarian, Episcopal seminarian who was murdered, um, in Hainville, Alabama, and we walked the sites, um, where Jonathan Daniel, Jonathan Daniels was, was killed in the courthouse where, um, his murderer was tried and acquitted for the crime and the jail where Jonathan was held. And we also, um, came back and did church. And then in the afternoon, we went to the Legacy Museum, um, which is kind of colloquially known as the Lynching Museum. But um, it's, it's the Legacy Museum. And it really takes people from slavery all the way through to, the, to mass incarceration and shows that there are direct linkages between slavery to mass incarceration today. 
And then um, we were able to um, go to the lynching memorial, um, which is the National Center for Peace and Justice, which is powerful. And that was really one of our more difficult days. Um, We spent a lot of time processing that night. Um, And then after that, we went to some other sites in Montgomery the next day, Dexter Street Baptist Church, where Martin Luther King was. Um, We went to the Rosa Parks Museum, Selma, and walked across the Selma Bridge, which was really powerful and cool. And... um, and but really we're able to see that Selma as a city has not prospered and um, that, you know, institutional poverty that exists in Selma and talk about how that affects race as well. From there, we went to Birmingham and spent the day in Birmingham, went to 16th Street Baptist Church, um, which was a fantastic experience for us and the Birmingham Civil Rights Museum um, and went to Kelly Ingram Park, which is the park where you see those famous images of um, children who are being attacked by police dogs and water cannons and spent some time there. And then finally, we made our way to Memphis and at the National Civil Rights Museum, um, which is uh, at the Lorraine Motel, which is where Martin Luther King was assassinated. And so that was our last kind of full day and then we um drove to Little Rock and then were able to go to Central High School I think we were all pretty tired when we got to Central High School and um the next morning and we thought oh we just kind of want to go home you know we were after that we were going to get in the vans and come home and and we thought you know what no we need to do this and we were met by a national park ranger who just gave us an amazing 30-minute story about the Little Rock Nine and we all left thinking I'd, I'd listen to him for another hour, talk about it. And a lot of our processing was done in the evenings and was led by our chaplains, um, Emily and Spencer and sometimes Jeff. And they did a fantastic job with helping the kids understand that while we are not responsible for the things that happened, we have a responsibility to help make the world a better place. And that we're responsible for keeping that from happening again. And that our baptismal call to treat each other with dignity and respect is fundamental to who we are. Um, We also gave the kids at each stop a bead um, to symbolize what we learned there. And um, one of our sponsors, we had nine sponsors on the trip. And one of our sponsors said, you know, at first I thought, oh, this is some silly thing. I'll just throw away afterwards. And she said, I am never, I'm never giving this away. This is amazing. And I look at every beat and remember every single thing I learned. So that's so much rich stuff. It just, it gives me chills. I'm over here like getting emotional about it because I'm so jealous. I didn't get to go because I feel like it, it's like you packed a whole gosh, like years worth of education into like an eight day period. I feel like my, my graduate degree, I studied black theology a lot and learning about all that stuff and reading the letter to the Birmingham jail. And, but to see it on the ground, what a difference I'm sure that made in just kind of, I don't know, cementing into their mind and their bodies to physically be in the place, right? Like I'm sure like why a bunch of Christians go over to you know, Israel, right? Similar to like be physically in the place makes a difference. Um, What do you think was the most impactful space that you guys went to? I think the most impactful space for most of us, and I think just listening to the youth talk about their experiences and also the adults. I mean, we had nine adults with us on the trip. Um, 
partially just because we were driving so much and needed more people in the vehicles. But um, we, the nine of us plus the the 26 kids, I think overwhelmingly would say the Legacy Museum. Um, it was, it's such a small space in comparison to like the National Civil Rights Museum in Memphis or even the Birmingham Civil Rights Institute. But it, it's really just one large room. But there is so much crammed into that space. And it's so every single exhibit you look at is powerful and tells so much truth. And um, they have a, a stand alone fixture in the middle of the room that is filled on both sides with glass jars of dirt. And that is dirt that has been gathered from lynching sites all across the country. And our youth found the ones from Oklahoma and and then it made them want to know more. You know, they knew about Tulsa because we'd gone to Green, you know, the Greenwood Cultural Center um, as kind of a pre-pilgrimage activity in May. And so they had learned about that. But, and they, they so when we, they found the one that said Tulsa, they, they could identify that. But these other ones, these other stories from Oklahoma, they wanted to go home and find out who these people were. Um, and wanted to know their stories. And I think that the Legacy Museum in particular, it took so many people who were nameless and faceless and gave them dignity by giving them a story that they could tell. And even when you get past the lynching portion and segregation, you get to the stories of mass incarceration. And there's letters that people have written um, from jail and they have interviews with people who are in jail um, and the stories that are associated with those are just so powerful. And that I think was the turning point um, for many of us. Like we, we figured out that it wasn't just kind of a trip. It was something much deeper and that this trip was going to change us fundamentally and that everything that we knew um, I know um, Emily Schnabel said that she knew so much going in and yet she learned that she still had more to learn. And I would say the same thing that every time I turned around the personalization of each story meant that everything was so much more impactful and the things that I knew, I still knew, but there was context to it and it became more alive to me. Mm, That's beautiful. Um, what were, did you hear any of the conversations the kids were having? Like, were there any, them working it out together that was neat, just kind of overhearing? Uh, I mostly drove the cargo van, which totally was by accident, I'm sure, um, since I made the van schedules. But, um, so I wasn't in the van with a lot of the kids, um, but I know a lot of our sponsors were, and the kids would have conversations about what they had seen, um, most of the conversations I heard centered more on that they just didn't know. And it just this, this, you know, what one of our kids said, who I remember I was, we were talking about their experiences and he said, you know, history class is facts and figures and it's kind of boring. And this made history come alive. This made, made me want to care about it. It made me want to do something about it. And, you know, when you listen to history in the classroom, 
it's just so cut and dry. It's what's in the book or what the teacher says. And this made, this made the difference in this young person's wanting to know about more about this time period in history and more about the lives of these people. And I kind of thought to myself, you know, this young man now is going to know more than almost any of his peers about this time in history. And my hope is that he can share some of that with his peers in school. I know I didn't read the letter of the Birmingham jail until I was in my second stint of grad school. I was probably like almost 30 years old and going to school with 40%, I, I believe, of my classmates were, were African-American, and the majority of my professors were African-American, and what a difference, just being around black culture and studying black texts um, that you don't, you don't, I did not learn growing up in school at all, um, and what, what a shame, and, um, but man, I feel like we should, this should be a part of our curriculum like in in a more intimate way, like you're saying, these kids got out of it. Do you think this is something we'll do again? Yes, the pilgrimage program is new. Um, and so we kind of did it, um, you know, it started as a, a wild hare um, and then moved into reality. And it's something that I'm going to look at doing every summer, um, not always to the, to the South or doing racial reconciliation. Um, but doing something every summer where we take a group of, of young people um, to learn about our church. Um, you know, a mission trip is really that. It's about mission work. And it's about um, learning about other people and learning about other communities, but also then serving with those other communities. And pilgrimage is different. Pilgrimage is fundamentally a journey. It's a walk. And it's a walk we're intentionally learning something along the way, both about ourselves and about the place where we're taking the journey. And I think that's what fundamentally makes it different is that intentionality with the purpose of learning about ourselves and learning about others. And, you know, a lot of our churches do mission trips and they do them really well. And so, um, and I've always enjoyed the mission trips I've been on, but there was something about this that filled my heart in a way that I thought we need to do this. This is something that our kids need to experience um, and we need to do it and make this a part of their lives because I think they really learned something about themselves and it changed them and it certainly changed me. And I see that as being very valuable and when we, how we teach in our children about God, how we teach our children about faith and how we teach our children about respecting the dignity of every human being and I think that that is invaluable. Um, I'd also love to do this for adults. So I'd love to see us do that. Um, of course, Bishop Ed takes a fabulous pilgrimage to Israel. Um, and that's coming up, not this not this summer, but next summer. Um, and But we'll do another youth pilgrimage for, for, for sure next summer. And um, hopefully, again, and maybe we can also expand it to include adults too. I love it. I love it. Um... What do you think the church still needs to learn around surrounding this area of racial reconciliation? I think one of the biggest impacts for our kids um, was the role that the Episcopal Church played. Mm -hmm. Um, That many of our churches were built by slave labor, Mm -hmm. that especially in the South, um, that our churches, um, many of them kept their doors closed 
um, even the split in the Episcopal church and, um, the AME church, um, occurs because the Episcopal church wasn't willing to open its doors. Um, and to some extent, there's a little bit more history to that too, but that we have a history, um, and as, you know, progressive as we sometimes see ourselves today, and as much as we use, you know, our words and our language as being inclusive and affirming of all people, that our history is not that pretty. And I think that, um, again, we're not responsible for that history, but we're responsible to it. Um, and you know, we didn't, we didn't do those things. We didn't say those things, but we have as Christians and as Episcopalians have a responsibility to ensure that we leave the world a better place, um, and make sure that those things don't happen again. And I think knowing our history is important. And, um, I think that that's one of the big things is that we can kind of turn ourselves off Oh, we're Episcopalians and we love everybody and that's great. But our history isn't like that. And we need to really grapple with that a little bit. We need to, you know, we need to wrestle with God on that. God needs to grab our heel a little bit and, and pull us down to the ground and say, you know, no, you've got to, you've got to confront this um, and you've got to deal with it. And, you know, maybe that includes us, you know, looking at, you know, a trip to Ghana um, and confronting the, the role of the church, um, in the slave trade as well um, and how we can kind of account for that and the role of the church during the civil war and just but looking at those things I think it's hard but I think it's good work to do I think of it as like a holy tension that we got to yeah. keep keep these things um, at the forefront to challenge us to be yeah. to be better and to keep ourselves accountable like you said so we don't repeat these types of things um, what's your hope for, for our youth now going forward? I said throughout the trip that if this has made a difference in one of their lives in terms of how they treat other people and if they think about their words they use and if they think about, um, if, they make, it may, if it makes just that small of a difference in someone's life, then the trip has been successful. Um, and that's true, but that's a little trite as well. Um, my hope for them is that their hearts were changed. Um, and my heart was certainly changed. I kind of thought I'm just hurting cats this whole time. I'm not really going to be able to, you know, experience this fully. And that is true to some extent that I was hurting cats the whole time, but I also was able to experience it and listen deeply. And my heart was changed. And I think my hope for them is really that their hearts were changed and that they see that out of evil can come goodness and that there is still evil in this world. We see it every day in the way we treat one another um, and the way we hold each other down and that our job as Christians and our job as Episcopalians is to lift each other up. And if their hearts were changed to do that, then I do think that this trip was a success. Thank you so much, Kate. You're awesome. Appreciate your work. It is so important to the church. Thanks for joining us, y'all. Be sure to sign up for the Diocesan Newsletter at our website, epiok.org newsletter. 
and follow us on all of our social media platforms to stay up to date on what's going on in the Episcopal Diocese of Oklahoma. See y'all next week and peace be with you.